Here we are, day 18 of our Romans reading plan. Uh, what a treat we have. Doctor, new doctor, right? Not Help me understand this. Well, so like I pretty much have done. You're pretty much a doctor. All the doctoral work. I just have to be said, you know, it's almost like one of those knighting ceremonies Mm -hmm. where, you know, they like put the stuff over your shoulders and they say, thus you are a doctor. Okay, so, so uh, I'm, I'm pending, pending Dr. Joseph Brasher, our yeah, adult ministry weird. pastor. Doctor, uh, I stubbed my thumb really hard yes. uh, the other day, and I was curious if if you can tell me if it's broken or like a ligament thing. Uh, yeah, that's what WebMD is for. Okay, all right. So you're not that kind of doctor. Not not that one. Well, what no. did you major in? Or what is uh, it? Organizational leadership is probably the easiest way to... Well, that's even kind of sounded weird, but education, organizational leadership. So just, I really just uh, focus in on how organizations learn and then how you educate people about organizations and how they learn. Okay. So I focus really heavily in um, this model is called double loop learning. Okay. Weird term, I know, but it's basically single loop learning is, is insanity, doing the same thing. You know, same action, same results, you know, all that. Uh, but whenever you ask why, that's when you move into what's called double loop learning, uh, created by a guy named Chris Argyris out of uh, Harvard uh, and Donald Sean. So that's that's really kind of the focus of my research. So nerd stuff I get, but yeah, but uh, I change didn't say management. that. I love change management, you know, <laughs> helping people learn how to change and, and help people to grow. Well, to have a, um, a focus in on, uh, education that sounds tr- strategic as an education pastor, really. Yeah. You know, adult yeah. education. Yeah, I so think it's, yeah, that's. Uh, I'm. I'm glad you're here, man. I'm, I love being. You've here. You've been on staff for man, year and a half, almost a year two and years. a half, almost a little bit years. over a year and a half. Yeah. So time flies when you're having fun, dude. This is a great place. It is a great it's place, fun. and you're a great guy. Tell us about your family. Uh, Brittany uh, is my wife. Been married, man, be almost 13 years in September. It'll be 13 years in September. Uh, Ellie Grace, she's 10, Abby's 7. Uh, they go to Blackman Elementary, and, man, we just love it, you know. And Ellie, um, Ellie Grace, she's a she's a whiz kid, man. That girl can read books all day long, all that stuff. Abby's our little, you know, she's a, she's a little firecracker for us. So, uh, and, of course, Brittany's just amazing. She puts up with me. But, uh, I mean, she's beautiful. I don't know how I landed her, but, I mean, She's great. That's word on the street. That's the question that, that a Dude, lot of people Dude, I mean, you ever asking. heard – I mean, we've heard the phrase outpunted coverage. <laughs> I mean, I'm living proof of that, totally living proof of it. You know? Don't sell yourself short, my friend. Well, you, I mean, I tell you, I look amazing on podcasts. Oh, man, so. you're gorgeous. <laughs> hey, I'm glad you're here. You're reading Romans 9, verses 19 through 33. Yes. Uh, so I'm just going to let you read it, and uh, we'll do your thing. Okay. All right. Um, so let's just – I'm going to just read through this, kind of make some comments as we go. Um, but uh, this is this is really uh, – before I even get into that, I just want to say this is like one of those passages that uh, you got to be really careful with, you know, because um, if you – if you go down the wrong direction with this uh, and you you maybe read some things into there that are just not there, 
you can you can really get some bad, not maybe not bad theology, but some extremes on theology that uh, you know they're just there's hard positions to hold within the full full picture of scripture. Um, so I mean that's just kind of something just to keep in mind as you're just reading through this with me and and thinking through this uh, as you're hearing this uh, because as I said there's going to be some statements we're going to really just dig in on some of these statements but. Verse 19 says, uh, you will say to me, therefore, why then does he still find fault for who can resist his will? But who are you, a mere man, to talk back to God? Well, what is form say to, to the one who formed it? Why did you make me like this? Or has the potter no right over the clay to make from the same lump one piece of pottery for honor and another for dishonor? And what if God, desiring to display his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience objects of wrath ready for destruction. And what if he did this to make known the riches of his glory on objects of mercy they prepared beforehand for glory? On us, the ones he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles, as he also says in Hosea, I will call not my people my people, and she who is unloved, beloved. And it will be in the place where they were told, you are not my people. There they will be called sons of the living God. But Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of Israel's sons is like the sand of the sea, only the remnant will be saved. For the Lord will execute his sentence completely and decisively on the earth. And just as Isaiah predicted, If the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have become like Sodom, and we would have been made like Gomorrah. What should we say then? Gentiles? who did not pursue righteousness, have attained righteousness, namely namely the righteousness that comes from faith. But Israel, pursuing the law for righteousness, has not achieved the righteousness of the law. Why is that? Because they did not pursue it by faith, as it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Look, I am putting a stone in Zion to stumble over and a rock to trip over. Yet the one who believes on him will not be put to shame. So that's the that's the verses there. You know, uh, always important. You got to remember the context, and I know we've been hearing that time and time again. But but just even thinking through what the what the context is saying this in this, you got to remember Paul is addressing the condition of Israel. Uh, he goes on there from celebrating the relationship of the believer in chapter eight. I mean, we we just finished hearing about uh, how uh, in chapter eight. Uh, you know, that there's nothing that could separate us from the love of God, you know. And, and yet we hear this these powerful statements. I love Romans chapter 8. And then he kind of turns this corner in chapter 9, and he almost turns to a, a tone of grief. He has this concern for these overwhelming number of, of people that he knows that he sees that are going to be cut off due to their unbelief in Christ, Um. He sees how they've rejected Jesus as Messiah, uh, the one that they had been looking for, the one that had been promised for so long. Uh, and so we're going to be able to see, you know, from this, well, what is that? What was that speaking to them then? And then what is that speaking to us today? So with that, we've got to remember the context, but we also have to remember the perceptions of the Israelite people. Every Jew during this time believed that they deserved eternal life on the basis of them simply being children of Israel. you got to remember that. Every Jew believed that. 
And so Paul's message or the message message of the gospel it, it shows us how this this belief is based on a false assumption. Uh, and the way that he demonstrated it was through Jacob and Esau. You remember Jacob was the lesser of the sons in age. He was he was the lesser in physical prowess. Remember Esau was the one he went out and hunted, where Jacob was the one that uh, he stayed with uh, with uh, with his mom. And, and so this was used about by God to bring about generations of, of Israel. So it wasn't based on uh, what Esau did, his age or anything like that, that salvation came through. Therefore, um, there was this whole, whole thing that God used uh, Jacob for his purposes beyond his lineage for his glory. So what the Israelites could were basing their assumption on was that their works would be uh, would be sufficient, but but that's just not true. And then we have Esau, right? Esau, uh, remember Jacob? Uh, I loved Esau, yet I hated that. The hatred's more of not really just a pure out hatred as much as it is a lesser selection. It's showing how God's salvation purposes are not based on being a descendant of Israel either. I mean, Esau had. Um, had the right to be the next one in line. He he had that full, full right, but it wasn't guaranteed. So therefore, a, uh, an assumption about lineage can't be made there either. So even thinking through that, I, you know, kind of bring this in a little bit of some other places where this is even talked about. Um, this is really getting into the way that Jesus even inter- interacted with Nicodemus. If you remember, Jesus said in John 3, 3 to Nicodemus that unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Well, for a Jew hearing that at that time, that thought that their salvation was based entirely on their lineage, based entirely on their works, I mean, Jesus was saying, you've got to be born again. You've got to be born into God's kingdom uh, in this way. And so uh, Jesus was then talking about being born in the Spirit of God. And so how does that happen? Well, through faith in Christ. Well, how do we see that? Jesus goes on to talk about it. John 3, 14, that whenever the people looked on the snake that was lifted up, you know, story in in Exodus about where the snakes came through and Moses took the bronze serpent head and put it on top of the staff. And whenever the people looked at the staff, that that was where, whenever they had faith in that moment, that that was when they were cured from the, the snake bite. And then he goes on, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, all, okay? God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. So he, he can makes this connection from you must be born again. It's not based on your lineage. That uh, It's not based on your works. It's about faith in Christ. And it's, it's all coming from God's love that he has for all people. And he says that again in verse 18, anyone who believes in him is not condemned. I love that. I love those words, anyone who believes in him. So God is, is shown as the source of both judgment, mercy, and his, and his purposes relate to those that believe in his promises. So we see that. Well, then Paul still sees this need to f- address some of these further questions of the Israelite. So you see in verse 19 through 21, 
You know, who can find fault? Who can resist his will? Who are you a mere man to talk back to God? You know, what is what is it that the one that's formed is going to say to the one that formed it? Or, you know, why did you make me like this? You know, and so the question is, is Israel to be blamed if God's will is being fulfilled for those that are hardened to the will of God and those that are receiving mercy? Another way to kind of even say this is, could Israel just check out of their responsibility? And I think that's a that's a question that they were pondering here is, if God's plan is going to just happen no matter what, then there seems to be nothing can be done about it. Then why is Israel even being held responsible for it? And once again, this is where context comes into key. To take that position really leads down a road of just ultimate determinism or even further into, into fatalism. You know, that's the whole case, sarah, sarah, whatever will be, will be. Why do I need to even do anything about it? But Paul, Paul doesn't see it in that way. In fact, his, his reference there to the potters, it comes out of Jeremiah 18. And it says there, If the nation I warned repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on the, the disaster that I plan. So uh, Norm Geisler, he really does a great job of this. He says, The unrepentant Israel becomes a vessel of, of dishonor, be, um, a vessel of dishonor if they do not repent. Uh, but the repentant Israel becomes a vessel of honor. So whenever we're looking at that in that full context of, okay, what can the potter say? Here's the one that's being made. You know, is it is it just something that I can't even worry about or anything like that? Well, no. Repentance is a is an action of the of the will. It's a it's a turning that happens. And so in that, that's how it becomes a vessel of honor if you are repenting, but a vessel of dishonor if you choose not to repent. And so the reality is there's going to be those that are hardened through the rejection of God and his word. Pharaoh, for example, Paul talks about this earlier in Romans 9, that he was presented the word of God through through Moses, yet his heart hardened. And uh, yet through this, God still brought about his purposes of the redemption of Israel. He was given the opportunity to hear the plan of God, yet God used that opportunity as well through his hardening for it to be the release of the people eventually through the plagues and all that. So for the Israelite, the, re- the rejection of the Messiah and the plan that God has was a way that they were being hardened just like Pharaoh and Paul saw this as a part of God's overall plan. So for the Israelite, the plea Paul is showing that how if you remain in these assumptions, the graces is earned by works, is through your lineage, as you go along, you're become you're going to become hardened in your heart even more. Um, thus the only thing that they earned in the hardening is what God determined for those that rejected his plan, which is separation from him just like Esau, just like Pharaoh. And this even kind of goes a little bit further in verse 22 in that um, we can read this verse and think, well, God created some people at the beginning of their life to be objects of wrath, to be people that their only destiny was to to go to hell. But but guys, I, I just can't hold to that view, and I don't think the majority of us would hold to that view. The grander view of Scripture reveals how this relates to a view of repentance. Um, notice that Paul says that God endured through patience, long-suffering, 
Geisler, he again, he points out how God, he patiently waited for the repentance. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish. Any, anyone. All these things that you're hearing about this, um, about how God's not willing for anybody to perish, but they all should come to repentance. So this means that the promise is made to Abraham, bless all families of the earth, Genesis 12. They're being fulfilled through, yes, there are some that are hardened to the plan of God, but there are also these plans are being fulfilled to those that God is well showing mercy through whenever they repent and place their faith in him. So the mercy of God is therefore applied to all those that call upon the name of the Lord, Romans 10, 13. You're going to hear about that later on. And it's a reflection of a belief in Christ. And we can see this in verses 25 through through 29. But just to highlight verse, verse 25, it says, I will call not my people, my people. There was a time where they were not his people, yet he calls them their people. Those that were unloved to beloved. Those that were not his people to sons of the living God. So uh, that right there shows time and time again how, yes, those that reject Christ, that, uh, that harden their hearts to the plan, they are going to be the ones that God has said, you are going to receive the wrath of, of God. You're going to receive the wrath of this. But for those that trust in Christ, those that believe in him, that respond to the mercy of God, not with unbelief, but with belief in that, they are going to be the ones that are going to receive the salvation that's by grace through faith. So just to wrap this all up, I know it's a lot of stuff, and guys, I'm telling you, there's a whole lot deeper conversations that can go into this. But just remember these key things. One, we aren't saved by works. We aren't saved by works. Esau's rejection shows us that. We aren't saved by our family or by traditions. Israel's rejection shows that. Salvation is through Christ alone. It's through him alone. And for those that reject Christ, separation and wrath are a reality. However, for the believer, we are able to be called the people of God, the sons of the living God, the beloved of him. So that's what I say as we go through this even more. Remember, context is key and understand the truths that are there so that you can continue to see the overall picture God so loved the world. And that's the greatest truth that comes uh, comes from these verses. Man, mic drop. That was a, a heavy chapter, a heavy Dude. set of verses. I mean, that's this is this is not easy stuff. And a lot of people they can get tripped up on this. As I said, I mean you can go to some it's easy to read these on surface level and go to some some far extremes. Uh, and yet you have to discount other parts of Scripture or totally explain it in a way that's just not there. Well, you handled it beautifully. I'm happy you're part of the team. I'm happy to call you a friend. And I'm happy that you guys joined us today on this podcast. Uh, you know, tomorrow we will continue on jumping in to Romans 10.